You and I have touched on this many, many times, and we will absolutely do more episodes on it. Retention of your students and your families is the number one issue that you as a founder want to consider and contemplate annually as you're coming up with your priorities, right? So you want to reduce the attrition percentage. You want to know how many of your students every month are leaving while how many students are staying. And that's Mm. year over year, month over month, et cetera, right? We believe that the most predictive impact you can have on that is by recruiting, onboarding, supporting, training, and retaining amazing teachers. Are you a music school owner looking to scale your program from just a handful of teachers to a highly profitable, well-organized, and mission-driven company? Well, I'm Nate Shaw, co-founder of the Brooklyn Music Factory. And I'm Daniel Patterson, founder of Grow Your Music Studio. And we're here to help you discover a proven pathway to sustainable growth in your music school. So get ready to take your passion for music education and scale it to a seven-figure music school. Welcome back to Seven Figure Music School. I'm Daniel. This is Nate. And in this episode, which is opening the third season, we're talking about the employee contractor distinction. This is one of those topics that every school owner has to ask at some point in their career. It's one of those topics that comes up frequently in music studio owner and music school owner forums, whether it's Facebook or some other forum. And unbelievably we've gone over 50 episodes and haven't talked about this yet (laughs) and so here's what i want to say right from the beginning there are gonna no doubt be school owners that you've already conquered this mountain you've already climbed this hill there you know you've either you've either made the choice to stick with contractors or because of the state you're in you're forced to have employees that sort of thing i want to say right from the beginning that we're going to avoid the obvious take on this topic. So again, if you've already climbed this mountain or because of the state you live in, you're forced into a certain uh, employment situation. Our goal in this episode is to still make this valuable for you. And to that end, our goal isn't to talk about the IRS rules, what you should do, what to put in your contracts, how to handle the payroll, whether or not they should sign an NDA or non-compete. That's been done to death. The forums are overloaded with questions about that. That same question comes up two or three times a month in a lot of the the places that I look at. Frankly, we have a little desire to do that again. Uh, So these topics and our answers on them might come up in a tangential way, but it's not our main focus or purpose. And to be honest... You probably shouldn't be asking other studio owners anyway. <laughs> Go contact an attorney. Um, we actually, and they, I know you remember this, but we actually did an episode with my attorney on this topic, and it was so short and to the point that we actually never released the episode. Her answers to most <laughs> of my questions were, "Well, it depends on the state," or "Well, I have, well, I would have to answer that question on a case by case basis." Right. Point being, if that even the attorney is saying that it's highly individualized a specific business, you probably shouldn't be asking people like us or going to the Facebook groups for wisdom on that topic. So, no, not a podcast episode, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, if we're not going to be taking that angle, you know, what are we going to be talking about? Um, and so, as Nate and I discussed the open of, opening of season three, um, the beginning of a new year. And what episode we want to do first, we realized we wanted to create something that would be valuable to owners and founders 
who were at every level of experience with this topic. So in diving into this, Nate, let me ask you a question, perhaps just a jarring mm. question right here from the very beginning. The employee versus 1099 contractor distinction, does it even matter? What do you think? Ah, such a good question. <laughs> it absolutely matters because of the the reason why you're even asking the question. Ah, okay. It matters because so often I get asked this question uh, coupled with a follow-up comment. I can't, for example, I can't ask my teachers to do this thing I'd like them to do, maybe show up to a department meeting or come to a required recital because they're a contractor, not an employee. And I automatically answer, why does contractor versus an employee matter? And of course, their answer is, well, because doesn't that stipulate that they have to do it? Well, mm. I always follow with, they're not showing up to their student's recital because they're a contractor. That doesn't have anything to do with it. The foundational question is usually, what's the culture of your company and why are some people committed and others not to your purpose? So mm. we're going to get deep into the 1099 versus W-2. We're going to get deep into why BMF does what it does with this question. I'm, I'm sure I'll share some stories of when we did it wrong versus what got us to do it right. Um, but really, it's a foundational question that you should start with, mm. which is, mm. does it matter? Yeah, it matters because you're asking the question but possibly for the reason that you're not willing to look at yet. Mm. So what, okay. So what then do you think Nate would be the question that they should be asking? I don't even mm -hmm. know if that's the right way to go about broaching this topic. Okay. So the question I'd be asking is what are you hoping will change if you change the legal structure of your employment? Okay. What are you hoping will change for you as a founder and as the employer? And what are you hoping will change in the way your employees uh, act on the job site? Right? right. Start there being like, if I make this change, here's what I expect to, here's how I as a founder expect to think differently. And here's how you as a teacher or a staff member I expect you to act differently and think differently. Start mm. with that foundational question. Um, maybe I'll give a, an example in myself, right? So at BMF, uh, you know, we're in Brooklyn, New York. So mm -hmm. getting back to your comment, Daniel, about, you know, how one state is different mm. than another, we're not going to get into any details there, but that's where I'm located. So mm -hmm. when I go to my attorney, I'm asking specifically <laughs> about being located in Brooklyn. However, I have employees that are teaching online, great teachers that don't live in New York State. They live in other states, right? So, of course, that's a question too. Um, however, for me personally, it's really important as part one of my core values is that our teachers 
um, feel supported as employees within our company. In other words, there's some sort of support system that's backing them, right? And that comes partially from Brooklyn Music Factory and how we treat them and the benefits we offer them, et cetera. But it also comes from knowing that as a, in our case, they're a W-2, being a W-2 employee, they also have governmental support, okay. right? For example, you know, I want them to know that they have a set number of sick days that we, that are automatic, that they are paid based on the number of hours that they work, right, in any given month. Um, and that is um, mandated by the fact that they're an employee here in New York State. It's not mandated by BMF, but we would already offer that or some, ver we already did offer some version of that be before we even understood the legal ramifications. But the point is less about the details. The point is getting back to my first comment, Daniel, which is like you as an owner have a set of values that you want to represent by answering this question, right? So you have to start with the man in the mirror or the woman in the mirror or the person in the mirror. You got to start there and ask yourself, what are you representing by making this choice? Mm. Um, and that, of course, there's other ramifications. There's budgetary concerns. It costs more to have a W-2 employee. Yeah, it does, you know? Of course, there's other things, but you got to start with your heart. You got to start with you, right? Because yes. you're not going to be a long-term sustainable employer if you're always sort of fooling yourself by the way you act. So mm. ask yourself that foundational question first, which is, what are you most comfortable with? The thing that I feel like <clears throat> I hear most mm. or a misconception that I feel that people have is, this idea that, oh man, if if these folks are employees, they would be more invested in the business. Uh, mm -hmm. This comes up on a fairly frequent basis. Uh, and that always surprises me because as I think about even the way that, that I have worked with people over the past seven years, we have a few key team members here at Grow. And then we have a lot of role players that don't have a lot of hours every single month. One could almost say that, you know, if you were a larger school, you might have some key teachers that had a lot of hours. And then you have maybe this violin teacher over there that teaches five students for you. And this flute mm -hmm. teacher that teaches three students for you. Yes. Not a lot of hours. Probably not going to make that person an employee. From a legal perspective, it probably truly is allowable for them to be a contractor. And again, not getting into the legal side of it. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of overlap between what school owners and even my own experience running a summer camp with contractors and a, a small school with contractors and the current structure I'm in. And all I would say is this: this is why I'm mentioning all these things and 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 bringing this point to the fore is that. Even with people who are on micro time or part time, I've never experienced a lack of passion simply because of the legal distinction that the person was in. I mm -hmm. hired for the passion. I hired for the suitability of the job. I hired for the culture fit. 
whether it was a person who's working full time for me, person who's working part time for me, or a person who's a role player, all they're doing is you know, you know one specific job in one area of the business. Person that comes to mind is uh, the Google Ads person who works for me. Um, there is such investment. There's care. There's teamwork. There's a, a willingness to 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 um, you know be invested in the mission. I see people who are customer facing, who are people who are on my team that are customer facing. I see them being invested in the customer success, and they're not checking their pay stub and say, "Oh, I'm a W two employee, therefore I'm more invested in the business." Versus, "Oh, I'm a 1099 contractor, I'm less invested in the business." I think it's just such a false distinction that if I could banish that from the thinking of people, I absolutely would. Obviously, I can't. Obviously, this episode hopefully goes towards that. But Nate, just hearing everything that I'm saying here, curious if you have comments on that, thoughts on that. Maybe yeah. you want to pontificate on why you think that misconception exists. Maybe you even had that misconception mm. at one point and you can help me see why people think that way. I don't know. What, what, are, you, yeah. what are you thinking as you hear me talk about all this? Um, well, there's a lot of things that come up. The first and most important one is to highlight what you just said. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like three minutes ago, which is when we're hiring you or when you are hiring, you're hiring for a very specific like culture fit within your business grow, right? Has a very, mm -hmm. um, I mean, you and I have become friends over the last few years of getting to know one another and then working together a lot. And so over that time, I've gotten to meet a number of the people that you work with regularly, right? And you have a very specific sort of flow within your company. And one of the things I'll say that is um, really cool to witness is that you're very much like a, you've got your systems, they're well-conceived, well-built, People hook into them. You're very clear about, hey, this is the checklist we use to do the things we do. You're very clear about where you look to see. I mean, you're very clear about how you operate as an owner in terms of we day in, day out doing what you do. And what's interesting is what I hear you talk often about is like, I don't care when you do it. I care to a degree how you do it. But really, I just care that it gets done and that we're moving forward. And so there's a whole lot of flexibility within your company that is built in there. And so mm. um, actually, if we were to talk, if we were to change 1099 to the idea of um, that's sort of the flexible model mm. versus W2, which has which has a is which is a much more um, defined um model, and I'll get back to why I'm saying this in a moment, but I feel like you do a great job of establishing at the outset, here's how we're going to operate. Mm. Um, there's lots of flexibility, but we're very clear on where we're going and the timeline mm. within which we're getting things done. Um, but a lot of your, I mean, your team lives everywhere. You know, you're not asking them to come into a classroom. Mm -hmm. every Monday, every Wednesday, every Friday, and teach on this piano using this method. Da -da 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 -da. So in many ways, I think you've touched on the most important piece, which is that know precisely what your culture is. 
and how and and how mm. your um, employees are going to operate within it. And then getting back to the you know the the topic of this podcast, the ten ninety nine, the contractor versus W two. Yeah, nobody. You're right. Nobody's looking at the check, thinking this is better for me. That's better for me, et cetera. But honestly, you're using that model perfectly. You're saying like, hey, maximum flexibility within my company. And there, mm. by the way, there's a pay structure that matches that perfectly. Mm. You know, so if I take it, if I go to the music school now and sort of um, continue your thought, I would say if you're a music school that thrives or prides its culture on giving teachers maximum flexibility, for example, they're all doing house calls. They're not coming to your, your school. They're, they're, they're teaching whatever methods that work best for them. And you have total trust in them. That's part of your culture is that the teacher teaches her method that she succeeded with year over year out, year in, year out rather. Um, then you want to begin to frame it that way. You want to ask yourself, like, what is the culture of my studio? Um, now, getting back to the initial point you made, if you're not even hiring to culture, if you don't have a clear sense of whether or not you want methods within your institution that are universal amongst all your teachers, or you know, you're not even asking this, these foundational questions, then I would say that's 100% where you want to start. You want to ask yourself some of these basic questions around the type of studio you're building. Um, and, you know, again, at Brooklyn Music Factory, it's pretty straightforward. We, we're literally a curriculum development company. We have methods. We have games. We have songwriting party, um, you know, templates. All of our teachers are all in on all of those methods. Mm. Right, it's not a totally flexible. Do what you want. See you at the recital program. Not at all. Not even remotely close. You know, mm -hmm. so that's sort of a good a, a good way to begin to wrap your head around it. If you're listening to this, what type of school do I want to build? Interesting. I don't know about you, but I didn't get an owner's manual when I started my music school. And I wasted a lot of time on trial and error and making things up as I went along. But you don't have to do that. Nate and I are building a library of resources and tools exclusively for fans of this podcast. Go to growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS and sign up to receive podcast updates, free resources, and even submit questions for us to answer on the podcast. That's growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS. And we look forward to answering your questions. Let me just ask this question. Mm -hmm. We started with this question. I'm going to ask it again because I think there's more to answer in that. Um, to me, it would, and I'm just curious what your thoughts are on this, Nate. To me, as I look at the distinction, I often see school owners or aspiring school owners or people who are kind of in the early days of scaling up, hiring their first few teachers, kind of wringing their hands over this, have a lot of questions about contracts and that sort of thing. And I feel like there's this fear that having W2 employees is going to mm -hmm. be this onerous burden in terms of cost. 
But as I talk to school owners who've already switched over to that, some like a mastermind client of ours who's in California who I actually talked to before we record this episode just to get her take on it. Yes. She said that she said that she was forced because of legislation that passed in California a few years ago to do this. And that Mm -hmm. really in hindsight, looking back, most of the stress was caused simply by her lack of understanding around what moving contractors to employees was going to do. And that all things being equal after she did it, um, it was really just about learning the process. Yes. And that it was about, like, like the cost to employ those people really didn't change all that much. There was some education she had to do in terms of um, showing people, well, hey, you know, like before you had to pay your taxes. Now I'm paying your taxes for you. So your take home might be slightly less. But in the end, the cost to the school and the cost to you is kind of negligible. Okay. So I don't know. I don't know if I even have a question for you, Nate. I just think that there's a lot of fear out there around this distinction. And mm-hmm. from your experience, since you do hire your, your team members as employees, would you say that that assessment feels correct? Would you say that more or less it's going to cost about the same to hire those people? It's just the columns, <laughs> the columns in which the revenue is being distributed just look different between those two distinctions. Yeah, dude. So, you know, I love budgeting and planning and numbers. Sure. And so I really appreciate um, the point that that this, you know, this client of ours in California brought up because I would say that we fear the thing we don't know. And usually yeah. that causes way more stress than just simply acquiring the knowledge mm. and then assessing what to do once you have the knowledge. I would also highlight something here. Um because nobody's forcing you to do anything. There is no state forcing you to do. There's no that's a classic victim mentality, right? Mm. We're choosing to live and open our business in a town in a state. But we don't have to. You could just simply open an online school. You could move to another I mean like there's no forcing of anything. Right. You can so, move to Indiana. It's it's pretty uh it's wide open right. here. <laughs> like right. They like, don't care here, opportunities. It like. <laughs> so, yeah, so I just want to let's like let's just I love it because my my I remember my coach said to me the other day when I said I don't know it's just that now she's making me do this and she goes mm. stop Nate what did you just just repeat what you just said and I was like Ugh. and she's like who's that showing up which saboteur is showing up there and I was like oh yeah that's the victim. Mm. Uh, anywho, sorry, just a little sidebar there, but <laughs> I love it. But I went, dude. We were we were talking in prep for this, and I immediately went to Leah, who I just adore, who's our bookkeeper, and I was like, Leah, remind me, what does it cost us to have W twos versus ten ninety nines? Because we have both. We have staff members that are classic contractors. They don't. They work when they want to work, how they want to work. Da 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 da. Right. They're remote staff. They're not teaching mm. here at BMF. Anywho, she's like, okay, you, this is what it costs, Nate. It basically is 8% more, right? So in other words, if we pay a teacher $50 an hour, it actually costs us $54 an hour. Dig it? So there's Mm -hmm. the simple number for you. Now, it breaks out in your budget slightly different, 
they still just get 50 an hour, but then there's also a benefits portion underneath your cost of labor. That's essentially like, you know, your FIC, the insurance, and that's like another, whatever it's, you know, 8% roughly. Now that changes potentially because your state might ask you to pitch in a little bit more on this thing versus that thing. But basically that's the number you can run. You can sort of start there, but you can do your own research. That's just mm-hmm. a Google away. Okay, so you can budget that any way you want. You can then pay them just a few bucks less an hour to start. And of course, then your recruitment process, you have to highlight some of the benefits of working at your school differently because maybe you're paying a couple bucks less than the competitor. Um, But there's language you can use around that. But I would agree with you. Yeah, and I would agree with you, Daniel, that basically... Start by facing your fears and get some facts in place, right? And then from there, assess how you're going to move forward. Um, And and so that's my my immediate response. I'd say there are burdens, of course, of being a W-2 employer, just like there are burdens, as we've been talking about, to being a 1099 employer, Hmm. right? What are those those distinctions from your perspective? I would say, you know, if you're a 1099 employer, we've already talked about some of those burdens. You have to sort of face this mentality that you're basically gathering a group of freelance educators, right? And you have to face this sort of freelance mentality and be like, how can I build community and culture if everyone sort of imagines themselves as a freelancer? Um, You and I were talking about this a little bit, Daniel, but, you know, one of the one of the um, sort of uh, most pronounced education points for a new teacher coming to BMF is tackling this idea because a lot of them have never actually not never but have rarely been anything but a 1099. Uh-huh. They've just always thought of themselves as I'm a contractor. I get paid a thousand dollars and then I have to manage my taxes you know, once a year, I have to write everything in the kitchen sink off and then try to pay as few taxes as possible. Right. So there there's, that's just a whole sort of mindset around. I've got control over my life as a freelancer and it's just moving. I'm moving from one hustle to the next hustle, to the next hustle, to the next hustle. And I'm figuring it out as I go along. All good. It's gotten me this far. I'll keep going. So that's one of the burdens of bringing on if you're employing only 1099s is you're constantly managing that mindset. And honestly, for us, one of the conversations that we have, Daniel, at the outset is like, hey, now you're coming on, especially when someone comes on as a full-time salaried or a full-time W-2 employee at BMF, we say, hey, here's the deal. I recognize that this is probably one of your full, first full-time gigs because they always want to know exactly how many hours am I going to work? When do I work? When don't I work? Mm. Etc. And that I recognize from my own story as being a freelancer for so many years of my life. Um, and you have to sort of be patient with them and be like, look, here's how this works. You know, you're going to do a bunch of hours that are going to be on the calendar where you're teaching. And then there's going to be a bunch of hours that you still control on your own where you're going to report those hours and get paid for them. But you're going to be creating curriculum or you're going to be showing up for these essential 
training meetings, your one-on-one check-ins, et cetera, all of these things we value equally. Mm. And so you're sort of chipping away at that mindset. Now, back to the burdens. The burdens of being a W-2 employer are that um, you also, yeah, there's paperwork. You can't miss your insurance payments to the feds and to 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 the state. You miss those and you start getting mean letters in the mail that all none of us really can understand how to read except for we owe something. You know, you're like, I don't even know exactly who I'm paying when I'm paying the New York State Insurance Fund. Um, <laughs> you know, you have things like, yeah, there's like if, if you have employers that are uh, employees that are working, you know, 30, 40 hours a week um, teaching and otherwise, well, they're it's mandated that they get a certain number of sick days every year, you know, and you have to track those things. Now, here's the good news. There are now so many tools, softwares that just make this stuff so much easier. Like we use Gusto to manage all of our payroll and all of the taxes and all of those things. And yeah, it's not like a silver bullet. You don't just sign up and all of a sudden magically everything's working. You do have to learn it just like you had to learn how to use your Gmail and your Slack and anything else you're using. Well, but the fact is we now live in an age where your issue with bringing on W-2s or managing employees effectively, guess what? There are millions of other small business owners that are doing the same thing and having the same had the same question and now have found a solution that's sustainable for them. So mm. that's the optimistic outlook for us that those burdens that we're feeling, there are solutions. Um, I'm actually, you're listening to someone who once felt stressed about it, and now we have a solution to where payroll's running every two weeks, taxes are being paid, insurance is being paid, et cetera. So it is possible. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know, Nate. Um, should we wrap about? Should we wrap back around to maybe what kind of kicked this episode off, which is that deeper heart and soul? Or do you feel mm. like we've covered that already? Um, because I feel like the 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 thought that really intrigued me about actually doing an episode on this, even though we tried earlier with my attorney and we were just like, ah, eh, let's not cover the legal angle of this the thought that intrigued me was just your, your comments around um, maybe what's more important than the distinction is the building culture piece or, you know, and I can cut this out if we don't want to go back this way, but like, do you feel like we already covered that in, in um, insufficient Mm. detail early on? Let me zero in on something that's really essential when we're getting our pay and benefits piece. Correct. Mm. Which is that, You and I have touched on this many, many times, and we will absolutely do more episodes on it. But retention of your students and your families is the number one issue that you as a founder want to consider and contemplate annually as you're coming up with your priorities. Mm -hmm. All right. So you want to reduce the attrition percentage. You want to know how many of your students every month are leaving while how many students are staying. And that's mm. year over year, month over month, et cetera, right? So we believe that the most predictive impact you can have on that is by recruiting, onboarding, 
supporting, training, and retaining amazing teachers. Mm. I'm going to say that again. Recruit, get your hiring funnel, improve that. Then hire, onboard them effectively so they know the team that's supporting them, staff, who does what, why, when, basic things like when do they get paid, how do they get paid, how much do they get paid, why do they not get paid for that thing. That's all part of onboarding. Then training and supporting them in an ongoing way so that they feel like they're part of something greater than themselves. They're no longer an individual teacher seeing a piano student, but they're part of a community of teachers that are supporting that piano student. And then retaining those great teachers for three to five years. Mm. That's the average of BMF, right? We'd love for five years to be the, the time, but you know, that's three to five years is a good average for us. Mm. Okay. So when we talk about getting your culture piece together, I want you to consider your pay and benefit structure around what I just said. Mm. Hiring, onboarding, training, supporting, retaining, and know that if you put in the time and effort over the next couple of years to refining your pay and benefits package to a teacher and getting them very clear on what that three to five year path looks like for them, all the different earning opportunities, how they're going to get paid, when they're going to get paid, et cetera. The 1099 to W-2 is just a microscopic piece of that. Mm. If you do this well, you ask lots of questions, you reach out for help, <clears throat> you're not shy about being you know, dumb on some subjects, smart on others, right? It's okay. There's just really no dumb question around this. You ask your friends, you ask your network, you, you know, email Nate or Daniel, you just reach out to anybody. If you do this, at least at BMF, we believe that your retention issue will improve, improve, improve. Mm. Okay. And that I'm just going to, we're just going to go on the record right now as saying, uh, we had Jeff Homer here on an episode last season, and he said it, let's be honest. What's the number one issue? Retention. And he was talking about family or student retention. Yeah. I'm going to extend it to teacher retention. So that's the last thing I want to say around this culture piece, because we're really zeroing in on a human being that you want to be part of your community that's going to support the purpose for three to five years. That human being needs, they have needs just like you. They need to understand how they're going to put one thing they need, which is dollars, into a bank account so they can do what they do, mm -hmm. you know? And you need to be clear on that. Um, that's our job as a founder. That's our job as building a community of great teachers. Um, and it's not an easy one. So don't, don't confuse my comment with thinking, I'm going to nail this in the next two months. Right? It's, a, mm -hmm. it's a contemplative issue that becomes an annual priority, and then you put in the time and attention over the next 12 months to trying to get it accurate and clear. Hmm. So maybe 
I was being a little unfair earlier in the way I introduced this episode because Hmm. at a certain point, it is really important to ask the tactical questions around this. Uh, And so there is a time and place for that. But what it sounds like you're saying is that after that, after you have done that research, which is a moment in time, your thinking has to return to what business is truly about. Which, if I could sum it up in one word that you said there, it's predictability. Mm. That the foundational elements of a the foundational elements that have to be in place for a school to deliver on its promise year after year is predictability in the marketing piece, in the product delivery piece, in uh, you know retention and attrition, uh, leads and conversions. Cost of labor, labor, operating expenses, marketing budget, year over year over year over year. If you can predict with accuracy what those things will be, you actually have a business, not not a child that has to be babysit, babysat. <laughs> that you that that's unpredictable and um, and you never know when it's going to break yeah. its leg and you have to take it to the emergency room. Man, I'm really stretching the bounds of this analogy. Point being <laughs> that um that that yeah, this distinction is important. But actually, no matter which structure you choose, it is only going to be one tiny factor in the overall uh, um it's it's only one tiny piece of the overall thing which the the CEO slash owner slash founder should have in their mind all the time, which is the predictability in some of these larger categories that we've been talking about since December of twenty twenty one. Yeah, and I think hmm. you're right. And and um, I like the parent analogy actually the the child parenting analogy because remember we hear this all the time. I mean, I'm you, we're both parents. It's like you think you know your kid. And then they, when they're five, yeah. then they're nine and they're like writing you these short little, like they're writing you like love notes and everything. They're just like, oh, but when they were five, it was just like a rando picture that you could barely discern. And then all <laughs> of a sudden they hit puberty and they're like 11 and 12 and you actually don't even really recognize their actions anymore. You're like, wait, what happened to my What are child? they doing? <laughs> yeah, what are they doing? So... I think your analogy is a good one. Um, I want to bring one other predictability piece because that's that's beautiful. And we were we were talking about this the other the other night, which is that here's one of the massive benefits that I've experienced personally around, um, yeah, the team piece, building a team of people that are around for years, not just months, or around you know some of the members of our team that have been around for five years, the value goes so far beyond now student retention. Like, um, you know, I mentioned uh, in a previous episode, one of our drum teachers, Davis, his student retention is off the charts. You know, it's 98%. Like he doesn't ever lose students anymore, right? They're just, that's not even an issue for mm. him, right? At this stage of the game. Cool. Box checked. But his value is so massive now around our long-term objectives and new business ideas and just areas that we truly want to improve as a company 
that are bigger than the week-to-week, month-to-month operating of a school. So, for example, you know, right now we are um, about to open a brand new location, and there's so many cool opportunities around a new location. Like we're exploring things like what types of live events we're going to do now that we never done before, um, and and someone like Davis is just incredibly thoughtful around um, helping to design and brainstorm all of these creative opportunities uh, that we may take advantage of in the future. And having those people on your team that have been through so many of the um, years together uh, that you can then know and trust to build something new or introduce new ideas, new classes, new um, even new teaching methods that you didn't dare do before. Um, that's like a Daniel. That's a massive benefit to me as a founder, because because you know you and I have talked about this before, but it's friggin' lonely sometimes. Mm. You know when the buck stops with you and you have to make the choice. Like you said, you put it so perfectly. By the way, when you said that 1099 to W two is just a moment in time. It's a research, then you make a choice and you move. You put the systems in place to support that choice. That's a moment in time and then you move forward. It's not like an existential crisis. You're not constantly thinking about it year in, year out. We made the choice to go to W2 back in like 2013 or 12 or something. It was a moment in time and that's it. Mm-hmm. I've never questioned it since. We just move forward. That's now the model that we do, you know. Um, there's so many other things to conceive of and to work on and to spend our creative time on. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.